Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 10 through 15, and uh, I'll be reading in English and Yanto and Dutch and Angelo and Papimento. Hebrews 13, 10 through 15. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. When I was a child, when I was six years old, my father uh, left home for little more than a year and went to war. My father was in the United States Marine Corps. He was an aviator, a pilot. And uh, I have a picture. This picture shows uh, a pretty significant, well, it shows everyone in my immediate family including me. So when you see it, you should try to guess which one is me. And uh, it shows my, my father and my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother, all my brothers and sisters, and two, two of our cousins. This picture was taken at the, uh, at the airport. So my father was leaving, uh, and he was going to Vietnam to fly airplanes in very dangerous situations. The airplanes would come back with bullet holes in them. Uh, it It was a dangerous job. When I was six years old, I really didn't have any comprehension of that, that this was a dangerous job. I knew what my father did was extremely cool. I mean, can you imagine flying jet airplanes? That was extremely cool. So which one do you think is me? Sorry? Nope. That's my cousin Steve Hopper. The, the little one on the right. The blue cap. The blue cap is correct. That's me. Now you know why I post old pictures of myself on Facebook. Because I was way cuter then than I am today. Uh, And that's my big brother behind me and my big sister next to him. My cousin is the one with, you know, we're looking at the back of his head. My little brother Matt, who some of you have met, he doesn't look like that anymore. I don't know what happened. 
Uh, and that's my little sister standing next to him and my mom standing on the left next to my dad, my grandmother on the other side, and another cousin and my great-grandmother uh, in the yellow dress in the back. I just wanted to show you a cute picture of me, that's all. No, I'm... <laughs> My father is on his way to war. Uh, suppose I had said to him, just imagine, I didn't say anything like this to him, but imagine I had said to him, why don't I go with you? Maybe I could help. Suppose any of us little kids, I was six, that means my big brother was nine, he's the oldest. Suppose any of us little kids had said to him, why don't we go with you? We could help. Is that not the most ridiculous suggestion you've ever heard? But it's a suggestion some little kids might make, really. For real, they might. I didn't think of it. Uh, man, my mom wasn't going with him, so... But some little kids might say, you're going to be gone for 13 months. We can't stand it. We have to go with you. Well, one of the little children that Jesus was addressing in the book of John says something like that in this passage we're going to look at today. In fact, he says, why can't I follow you now? He doesn't really know what he's saying. He's a little child. He's a grown man who's a little child. And that's something all of us grown men and women should recognize about ourselves relative to Jesus. We're the little children. So I just want to read this text. Now, originally I had planned to talk about three of the little children because there's three little children who say something in this conversation right at the beginning. And then I started looking at this, and I thought, no way am I going to get through all three of them, so let's do one a week. So while the title of our sermon today is Three Little Children, and the question today and next week and the next week is, do you know the way? That's really for all three weeks, because today we're just going to look at the first one. But let's, uh, let's read. from. I'm going to start actually in verse... Uh, what is it, 20, 33, verse 33. They really should print these numbers bigger and brighter for us old folks. John 13, 33. Little children, yet a little while longer I'm with you. You'll seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Jesus said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now I'm going to stop there. It's like right in the middle, but uh, that's the section I, I, I want us to sort of focus on this morning. At the beginning of this, well, it's not really the beginning, is it? Uh, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He came to Peter. And Peter says, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, then you, have, you and I have nothing to do with each other. So then Peter swings all the way over the other way. You know, he's maybe a little bit of an impulsive guy. I don't know. He's a very strong-willed person, I think. He is maybe uh, an emotional person. He loves Jesus. There can be no question of that. Jesus is his best friend. And he, perhaps, is Jesus' best friend in human terms. And so he says, well, then, not just my feet. And he goes, goes all the way the other way. But meanwhile, Jesus has said, look, if I don't wash you, you have nothing to do with me. And then you have this little discussion where uh, Jesus announces that someone's going to betray him and everyone's going, oh my God, who? Who is it? And Peter looks at his other best friend and Jesus' other best friend and he says to him, and he eyeballs him and gets him to ask Jesus without saying anything. That tells you something about how close these men were. He he gives him the look, and John says, Who is it? And Jesus reveals to John and Peter, but not to everyone who it is. And, Jude, and Judas leaves. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God's glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. And it's going to happen now, little children. I'm with you a little bit longer. I'm leaving. Now, the disciples, this does not register. I'm leaving. I'm only with you, and you're going to look for me and not find me. That makes no sense. Now, we have the benefit of reading all of this and you know, from the time this book of John was written 
all of us Christians have read this with hindsight. We know what's going to happen. We understand. And it's difficult for us to actually place ourselves in the position of these disciples, these little children. How confusing it was to hear Jesus say, I'm going to be going and you can't come with me. How is it possible that there's some place he might go that we can't go? But Jesus moves into his speech. His, uh, you know, calling it a farewell address is a little bit questionable, but, you know, his, his instructions. And he's going to try to bring these little children up to speed about how they are to be in his absence. But, you know, they have a really hard time paying any attention to these instructions. He says, love one another. This is the new commandment. This is the commandment of the new covenant. Love one another in the body of Christ. This is the commandment that's new because now you have the real, live, human demonstration of it in me. And you have the experience of it from me. And so you will find in being loved, you become loving. And so the fellowship of those who know Christ should be the most radically loving place in the world. And everyone else should be able to come through the door of any church that names the name of Jesus Christ and say, wow, look how these people love one another. They must be with Jesus. That's how he loved. Full of grace. (laughs) Full of grace and truth. Honest and merciful. It's not that I don't see you and you don't see me for who we really are. You know, this sort of broken down sinners that we are. We do see it. We recognize it and we recognize the outpouring of the grace of God that covers it. And we share that grace and that love because we know it ourselves. I, I can't be that guy that guy, the king, forgives the debt of 10,000 that chokes somebody for five. I can't be that guy anymore. And neither can you. And so we love one another. We forgive one another. We let things go. And if I decide I can't let that go, it's not because you're bothering me. It's because I want to help you. It's not because you're doing me wrong. It's because it's not good for you to do me wrong. Crazy talk. But that is exactly the love that Jesus demonstrated. We have done him wrong in ways we are totally unaware of and can't even estimate and yet 
he deals with us in truth and grace. He absorbed the penalty for my sin, and he says to me, now love your brother as I have loved you. This is how you're to operate in my absence. Now, what I want you to notice, or one thing I want you to notice about what Peter says, is it has nothing to do with that commandment. He is utterly distracted by the first thing Jesus said, which is, I'm leaving. And he says, sensible question really, where are you going? Where are you going? Now Jesus is going to answer that question in next week's text, where he's going. He's already kind of answered it, by talking about the fact that he's going to die. And he doesn't directly answer it now. He says, well, where I'm going, you can't come. Apparently, he reads Peter. <laughs> he reads Peter. Peter says, I'm leaving. And he says, where are you going? And behind that is, I'm going with you. So the Lord says, well, you can't come. <laughs> you can't come. You can't come now, but you will come later. This reminded me of the conversation Jesus has with Peter at the very end of the story, you know, after the fishing expedition where Jesus comes back and he keeps pestering Peter with this question, do you love me? Are you real? Are you real? And I imagine at that point, now we know this prophecy of Jesus has been fulfilled in the life of Peter and he was challenged by a little girl and couldn't name the name of Jesus except in denial. And now he's dealing with that Jesus again and Jesus says, do you love me? This is after the resurrection, right? Do you love me? Well, I can see how that might be an open question at that point in the story. Not that Jesus really has any doubt about the love that Peter has for him. He's challenging Peter. And three times he says it, and the text says Peter was getting mad. You know I do. Feed my sheep. And in the middle of that story, there's this little thing that Jesus says, and John comments. And he says, he said that to indicate how Peter would glorify God. Oh my goodness, how he would die. Jesus says here, you can't come now, but you will come later. And he's not just talking about going to heaven one day. He's talking about really following Jesus in the expression of the love of God by sacrifice for the sake of another.
You can't come now, but you will come later. But Peter says, why can't I come now? I will lay down my life for you. This is me saying I could help you to my father who's going to war when I'm six. I could come with you. I could help you. No, you can't. And no, you couldn't. This is not something you are equipped for. When Peter says, I will lay down my life for you, he's not joking, he's not kidding, he means it. But what he's saying is, I will lay down my life for the cause of Jesus Messiah. And Jesus is about to really become the disappointing Savior who is killed by Rome. And I think through the night, Peter is going to notice that Jesus is letting this happen. It's horribly confusing. He says, why can't I come now? I'll fight. I'll be by your side. I will strengthen you. I will encourage you. I will help you. I will lay down my life if I have to for your cause, for the cause of Jesus, Messiah. Now, Peter didn't notice it. We might not notice it either, but unconsciously what he's doing is he's saying again, you're not washing my feet. We know when they get to the garden and Jesus is about to be arrested, what does Peter do? He keeps this promise. He grabs a sword and goes after a soldier and hits him on the head. And fortunately only gets his ear. I don't think Peter was very good with a sword. But he's doing what he said he would do. And I think when Jesus doesn't do it, Oh my goodness, that is horribly confusing. Peter is ready to fight, and Jesus won't. He lets himself get arrested. Messiah? Jesus isn't going where they think he's going. But when Peter says to Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you, to me this is like just the latest iteration of, you're not washing my feet, because who is laying down his life for who here? The glorification of Jesus is what we're talking about. The glorification of Jesus and of God in Jesus through the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the rule, the, the second coming of Christ, the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
by way of the cross. This is something only the eternal Son of God, the Son of Man, can do and must do alone. Nobody else can help. Now, Peter, of course, he doesn't understand. He says, in effect, look, if I'm with you, I can add strength to whatever you need to do. I will do this even at the expense of my own life. Plus, I want to be with you. Why don't I go with you? I could help. And Jesus, <laughs> what Jesus says in response to that, <laughs> it's a stab in the heart. I, it's unspeakable. Peter says, I'll, I'll die for you, Lord. And Jesus looks him dead in the eye and says, really? You think so? <laughs> so breathtaking. He says, no, you won't. No, you won't. You could and you won't. Before tonight is over, you will deny me three times. You know, we don't hear Peter saying anything after this. That hurt. Peter overestimates himself, and he underestimates Jesus. That's what we do all the time, by the way, all of us. I always overestimate myself and underestimate him. I can't possibly not underestimate him because I can't imagine high enough to correctly estimate him. And I'm always thinking I'm a bigger deal than I really am. Peter did that. And Jesus tells him, your commitment will fail. His efforts to support Jesus, you know. Stand back, Jesus. I'll take care of this. Will be misguided. You ever say anything like that? Stand back, Jesus. I'll take care of this. I got it. It's cool. Hey, you should stop sinning in this that particular way. And I say, okay, stand back, Jesus. I got this. You know, the flesh is always ready, always ready to resist sin whenever it finds out how and always fails. <laughs> when I operate myself, I'm not helping. My efforts to support Jesus are frequently misguided. 
Here's something I think and I hesitate to say because, you know, I don't know how it's going to go over, but I just want to tell you this. You can't help Jesus. You can't help Jesus. You are not in a position to help Jesus. Jesus actually does not require your assistance. He will accomplish what he will accomplish. He's God Almighty. He can do what he sets out to do. If he needs to direct your life, he can figure out how to make sure you get the message. Whether you're listening or not, think of Moses. What was Moses doing when God directed his life? Hiding, hiding from Egypt, from Israel, from everyone, God included, God will do what God will do. You can't help Jesus. You can't improve Jesus. We're always going around trying to make Jesus more acceptable to people. I'm sorry. Jesus is not acceptable to people. Anyone, including you, until the Spirit of God helped you to see who He really is. And your desire to sell Jesus to somebody is misguided. He doesn't need that kind of help. You can't provide for Jesus. There is nothing you can provide to Jesus. Our position in relation to Jesus in relation to God, is never, never the position of provider. He's the source of everything. The Scripture just says this plainly. He says, what have you ever given to God that he didn't give you first? And the answer to that question is nothing. You've maybe heard of the musical group Sixpence None the Richer. Did you ever hear of that group? What a, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> it's kind of old now. Might be telling you how old I am. There was a musical group, and the name of it was Sixpence None the Richer. What a goofy name that is. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from an uh, even more obscure uh, reference in uh, the work of C.S. Lewis, where he was talking about how we serve God and how we make offerings even to God. And he says, uh, it's like a father who gives his kid a nickel, except it's England, so it's a sixpence coin. They have a coin worth six cents. Well, not anymore. They figured out how dumb that was. But anyway, they had a sixpence coin. And so the father gives his son a nickel. Sorry, in America, a nickel is a five-cent coin. So I'm just trying to give you the equivalent. He gives his son a nickel... And he gives his son the nickel so the son can buy him a one-nickel birthday present. <laughs> this is how we give to God. It's not that God doesn't enjoy that. He does. He sets it up so we participate with him. We, we help. <laughs> We serve, we give with joyfulness 
And please don't do it if it's not with joyfulness. What would God get out of it if you don't enjoy it? The reason he gave you the nickel to give back to him is for the joy. Not because he needs your nickel. He already had your nickel. Even while you have it, he still owns it. We are not in a position to provide for God. He is the provider. So, <laughs> Jesus says to Peter, not, no, you won't. You won't. When it comes right down to it, Peter, you will fail. Which is fine because I don't need that sort of support anyway. And when Peter deal, or when Jesus deals with Peter, you know, in that story, that do you love me story, ultimately that is all about I love you, Peter. Now, put yourself in the position of, say, uh, Andrew, other disciple sitting there. You're Andrew, and you're listening to this conversation. And Peter says, why can't I come with you? And you're thinking, yeah, why can't we? I'll lay down my life for you. You're thinking, yeah, so would I. Preach it, Peter. And Jesus says to your otherwise leader, no, you won't. You will fail. How do you make sense out of that? How do you make sense out of that? I imagine Jesus looking around the room and seeing all the other disciples going, What? What? If, if Peter is turned down where do I stand? So the next thing out of Jesus' mouth is, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now we already know with the use of this exact same word that Jesus' own heart is very troubled. But he says to them, don't be Troubled. Easy, guys. It's okay. It's okay. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust God. 
And I think, oh my goodness, yes. This is always it. This is always, always, always it. You're troubled. Trust God. Is God familiar with your situation? Is God your actual provider? Is God trustworthy? Will he watch over you? Trust God. And he goes on and he says, trust me too. I don't need you to fight for me. I need you to trust me. I don't need your help. I need your faith. I'm taking care of it. Trust me. And he's not saying trust me because that will be satisfying to him, though it certainly will be. He's saying trust me because that will be salvific to them. That will bring redemption to them. Trust God and trust me. Receive. Our basic relationship to God is we receive what He provides. You don't outgrow that. You don't get it, and then He expects you to do something with it. That's always our position. We receive what He provides. He provides salvation in Christ. We just get it. And we rest in Him. We receive, and then we rest. And then something amazing happens. When I notice I don't have to, suddenly I can't help obeying. Before obeying, before I realized I've been released from this, before obeying was a burden. Now that I've received God's grace, I rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, suddenly obeying appeals to me in a way that it didn't appeal to me before. And when I learn his rules, they don't strike me as rules, they strike me as opportunities. Oh, that's what I could do. Yeah, that's what I want to do. And so I begin to reflect. And I don't mean contemplate, reflect. I don't, I don't mean navel-gazing, reflect. I mean shine with the glory of God that has been shown on me. Love with the love of God with which I have been loved because God is my provider because all the love I need I get from Him. Then I become loving in response because I have received grace, forgiveness. I become gracious and forgiving. I don't need you to treat me right all the time anymore. Now that I've noticed that God no longer needs me to treat him right all the time. God for crying out loud. Because of the cross of Christ. And so I begin to 
when I receive and I reflect and I re- rest in His grace, I begin to reflect it and I rejoice. I rejoice. Scripture says, Romans chapter 5, we rejoice, we exult even in trouble. <laughs> even in trouble. One day Peter would die on a cross. He did so rejoicing, I have no doubt. He counted it a privilege. In fact, one tradition says, he said, no, you have to turn the cross upside down because you, I can't, I can't put myself in the position of Christ. What a crazy man. A crazy, joyful man who even in his death rejoices in his salvation because he rested in what Christ did and did not depend upon himself. So I receive, I rest, I reflect, I rejoice. You know, you can't help Jesus, but he lets you help. He doesn't need your help. He accomplishes what he accomplishes, but you know what? He lets you in on it. And that's how we need to look at it. When I go to serve in the church or when I go to express love in the community, when I suffer for Christ's sake, I do so with joy because he lets me participate in what he is doing, the revelation of the glory of God in sacrificial love. So I think about, you know, if I said to my dad, hey, why don't I go with you? I could help. I can imagine my dad actually saying something, if I were to say that to him. I can imagine him saying something like, you want to help me? You want to help me? Stay here and be obedient to your mother and loving to your brothers and sisters. That'll help me. You know, he lets me in on it. He doesn't need my help, but he lets me help. I've shared with you many times, I think, my dad used to fix all the many cars he bought for us to drive around in. And he used, because he bought us all these cars, he couldn't afford to pay anyone to fix them, so he fixed them. And so sometimes we would help. Hand me that screwdriver is the sort of help. He let us help. The Lord, uh, you can't really help him, but he lets you help. And when we get together here in church (laughs) and we remember, reflect, rejoice in the table, in the love of God, the sacrifice, the amazing heroic deed of our Savior, and we absorb this love that is poured out by His very Spirit in our hearts, and we sing together and we rejoice together and we love one another, we're helping. 
and he's doing it. It all comes down to that phrase, trust God, trust me too. And that's what we do when we come to the table. That's why the table, this meal, is the emblem of our faith. Because what are we doing? We're just receiving the whole thing. That's the whole thing. We just get it. It's a good idea to use it as a moment of reflection and to ask myself, why me? Okay, great. Uh, it, good question. And the answer is no reason. And you might say, wow, Lord, I really promised to clean up my life. And the Lord says, I know, well, I know how that will work out. Your promise to clean up your life. Let me handle it. Let me handle it. Stop. Trust God. Trust me. And that's what we do when we come to the table. We stop. 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 Rest in Him. Rejoice in Him. Receive from Him. That is always our place. And I am most effective in living for Jesus when I am not trying so hard to live for Jesus and simply remembering how Jesus gave his life for me. It's, it's a, you know, turn your head upside down kind of thing. And that's what we do when we come to the table.